Uh, hi, how's it going, everybody? You doing good? All right, good. My name is Eric Wakeling, one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I'm excited for this message that I believe God has for all of us to be a huge reminder for us, but also a faith builder for us that we want you to know that you can have confidence in your faith. How can we have that, that kind of confidence, that kind of assurance of our salvation, of our relationship with Jesus? That we want to be people who have that, that we, we also, in the midst of that, we say we are, we're open to doubt and to questions. We recognize that there are, there are times in our life, there are seasons when we have questions, when we have doubts. We all have those times. But I also want to say that God has something more for you than a life of worry, anxiety, and doubt, and, and, and wondering constantly. That, you know, if you think about our relationships with, with people, if we just have a relationship with, with another person, with your, your spouse or person that's, you know, kind of a romantic relationship with of some sorts, uh, with someone like that, if you would think about it and you would think, that all the time you have questions like, will this last? Or can I trust this person? Or is this the right person? Or am I really committed? Or are they really a good person? You know, we're constantly asking those kind of questions. It, it doesn't feel like the best that a relationship can be or the healthiest place that a relationship can be. And so I want us to understand that, yes, of course, we have questions and we have doubts. But we can have something more. We can have a confident relationship in Jesus Christ. We can have assurance of our salvation that is real. And I, I want us to, to believe that it's the way that it was supposed to be isn't just supposed to be a life of that kind of doubt, worry, and anxiety. And so I want us to then consider what is then that, that true life, real love sort of relationship with God actually look like. And I will tell you that we can have confidence to overcome sin, death, anything, only through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. We will then be called to do good works and to be good people, but it only comes, salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And I want to make it plain and I want to make it clear here. I want to be strong about the fact that salvation comes through nothing else. We can have confidence through nothing else. Whether we are nice to people, whether we do good works, whether we get baptized today, whether we take communion, whether we serve the poor, share our faith, give lots of money, whatever that is, that will not bring salvation. That we want to have a clear understanding of what that means to be a follower of Jesus and have confidence in it. And I know that we can have that as we dig into the scriptures, that we see that our, our faith comes first, then our obedience. Our life will display the truth that's in us. So let's look about what, uh, what John has to say about this in 1 John 5. So if you've got a Bible or if they grab that one that's on the back of the seat in front of you, let's turn to 1 John 5, 1 through 12. It's in the very back, if you don't know, right before the book of Revelation, basically. And uh, we'll dig into this. There's also notes in your bulletin if you want to look at the outline, follow along there. But let's read 1 through 12. 1 John 5, 1 through 12. Whoever believes... That Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Uh, so that whole water, blood, this thing we're talking about here, I'm going to explain that a little bit. Kind of, it's kind of weird sounding on the surface, but we'll get into it, okay? It's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life, given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I'll read one more, actually. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can have confidence. We can overcome not by our works, not by being good people. And I'll, I'm saying a lot of this to you. Like recently, I've had conversations, even though this passage has been lined up for months as what was supposed to be preached today, okay? But I've had conversations even in recent weeks with people that are strong that say, wait, you mean Jesus only? Like, well, I got these friends. They're good people. They're genuinely good people. How can you say they're not saved, but then you'd say that those people that are christians but i don't they seem kind of rude sometimes or whatever but but they're saved and they they're struggling with that people who've been part of this church for a long time struggling with that saying that it seems like these people that are good people that do these good things should be saved how are they not so i want to be clear okay i want to be very clear today and show us what verse 12 says he who has the son has the life he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So let's, let's walk through this and help us to understand this more clearly. That we overcome, okay, we overcome sin, death, the wrath of God that we deserve, separation from God, hell, all of that, right? We overcome by faith in the truth of who Jesus is, okay? We have the grace of God, faith that believes that. Okay, so there's a few aspects of that that I want to show us in this passage. That this, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God. Now, even with this belief, as we, we're going to talk a little bit about belief throughout today. But you can't just say you believe something that you don't really believe in your heart. Okay, I love how Romans 10, 9, how it says that, you know, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. There's a sense of belief that you can't just say it if you don't really believe it. There's something that's going to be in you that, like, that you believe this to be really true. Okay, it doesn't mean you don't like question or wonder, like, why does this work the way it works? Or we have doubts and we're, we're working that out. Okay, we're pursuing truth constantly. But, you know, there's this sense that I'm not going to fake this. We're not faking it. We're not faking it because our family has always been Christians, you know, have always been part of the church, or because we got manipulated by some, you know, youth worship night, and the guy got really passionate, told everybody to stand up because, you know, if you feel anything, you know, and it's like, so we stood up or whatever, and you get these sort of almost like manipulations at times, and we don't want that here, okay, that you have a belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved, okay, we don't want to emotionally manipulate you to thinking you're a believer, and then your life shows nothing of the sort, Okay? Now, uh, this is where it gets, we start to get into the order of things here. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Classic passage when it comes to salvation and works. For by grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Gifts are given and received, right? Not earned. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. So we recognize that our salvation is this gift from God that we have been given, that we receive so gratefully and, and with a heart of worship receive that gift with love and adoration to God, right? And we receive that, but it's by His grace. We cannot earn it. We earn the wages of sin is death. We earn death. We're given life so that we can't boast and say we did it. All right, so that's why we're strong about, hey, getting baptized, that doesn't save you. Take a communion, doesn't save you. No, none of that saves you. It's the shed blood of Christ that saves you. But then, verse 10, right? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are supposed to have good works. Just don't place that your salvation comes from those good works. Your salvation comes by grace through faith. And then we do good works out of that. Out of that is how we do the good works. Because God prepared them beforehand so we'd walk in them. That's our walk. That's our faith. Those are the things that we do for God. It's a gift. No party favor necessary on the way out. Okay? It's a free gift that you get. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We also must believe that Jesus died a physical death. That he came as actual, a human flesh. Fully God, fully man. Okay? Now, again, this is just that brief reminder of how that's like this whole book of 1 John was written to a group of people that were doubting or had others preaching against that Jesus came in the flesh. That Jesus didn't. He was only spirit. That flesh is evil. So he couldn't have come in the flesh. So they didn't believe that he died a physical death. We have to believe that Jesus did. Now, with that, it has this whole part there that seems kind of odd or just confusing at the surface of the water and the blood and the Spirit testify to all this. Now, there's actually a couple different uh, thoughts out there of what does this really mean, the water and the blood, because um, there's not a lot of like actual sort of commentary within the scripture on it, so they're trying to figure it out. But uh, a couple thoughts are, one would be that the water and the blood is when Jesus was on the cross 
and then the soldier came up with the spear when they were kind of trying to check to see if he was really dead. Uh, and they, they stabbed him with the spear, and then the water and the blood poured out to show, that showed that he was actually physically dead, okay? Now, that was that display of his physical death. So especially with First John and everything that John's trying to prove here to these people, that maybe that's what he meant by water and the blood. Now, others meant, and I could kind of go along with this next one a little bit more, um, is that the water and the blood represent his baptism, first of all, okay? The water represents the baptism of Christ by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and that what happened when he was baptized in water is that, remember, when he came out, it says, it says that the water testified because the Father at that moment testified to the world that this is my son. You heard that voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. And God testified that this was his son at that moment. And then the blood would be when he was on the cross and he shed his blood for us that again the father is testifying of his son through these like kind of incredible amazing things that start happening at the moment of Christ's death where darkness comes and an earthquake shakes the land that graves open and people just came out and came back to life that the veil the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom and that now that that separation between God and man and needing that a mediator of, of a human priest was broken down that now we have access to God directly, that was the Father testifying in that moment that this is my Son. And then we also have then the Spirit, it says. And the Spirit testifies. And we know that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, seals our salvation, that we have assurance of salvation deep down from the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit gives us that. And the Holy Spirit, says here, is truth. The Holy Spirit speaks truth, reminds us of the truth of God's word, brings understanding and light to the the things that God says here for us, testifying of the truth of who Jesus is. So that these three testify of him. So we must believe that he's the son of God. We must believe that he died a physical death. And as the water, the blood, and the spirit testify to that. And then we also, though, must believe in the resurrection and that eternal life is only found in Jesus. Because we might believe that he, you know, it's all necessary. That he's the son of God is necessary. That he died a physical death is necessary. But if that's where it stops, right, and he stays dead, there's no hope. There's no victory in that. But the victory comes at the point of his resurrection. That we know because of that, we have hope. We have life. We have victory. Because he did not just take the wrath upon himself. He did not just take death upon himself. But he burst forth in victory and strength over all of that. And that's the God that we believe in. And that's why faith and salvation, right, all that only comes through him. How could we possibly think we could do that ourselves by letting somebody go in front of us in line at Starbucks? For real. You know? You give a gift card to a homeless person for a meal. That's great, but it doesn't save you. How could it equate what Jesus did, shedding his blood on the cross and then bursting forth in victory? It's just, it's making a mockery of what God has done. So we have to have this proper understanding of where does salvation come from? Where does our, uh, you know, how do we overcome sin and death? It's through him. And so we want that message. We want the truth of that. To be proclaimed. To be proclaimed here in this church and through all of us as we go out and 
That's why we try to give you know, opportunities for us, like this whole thing with the Alpha Course that Tim was talking about earlier. You might be someone that has doubts and questions, you know? This is a great place to come and to process those, to hear some brief teaching about, you know, the truth of, like, who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can we have faith? You know, like, what's the deal with grace? And, and you know, it's all these sorts of questions. You want to process that. What's so cool about the Alpha Course is you can come and you can, it's like a table, you sit around a table of people and you can ask the questions that you thought were the dumbest questions or like offensive to ask questions or whatever that might be. And it's so welcomed. And it's just an awesome place of community and processing all of that. And so if, they, if you have that friend who maybe doesn't know Jesus or is asking you more, or you've been sharing your faith with them, that's where you invite that person. You come and you sit with them at the table and you process all of that together over the course of those eight weeks and you see the body of Christ loving one another, and it's amazing, you know? So that's why we give those sorts of opportunities. So I encourage you to invite someone to that, because we want to see people come to know Jesus. But maybe they won't come to nine weeks, and maybe they won't step foot in a church ever, and that's where there's things even like Harvest Crusade. That's next weekend, uh, three nights of it. You know, you just Google Harvest Crusade, find out the details. But man, it's just a big concert and a gospel message and it's a great opportunity if somebody would want to come to a big event to be able to hear the gospel clearly. So there's, you know, on-ramps and opportunities for us to be able to, to share faith with others, to help us initiate conversations that we should be having. Because salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. We only overcome because of him. This word overcome is in this passage three times, twice in verse 4, once in verse 5. It's this Greek word, nikeo, that where it's the same root word as Nike. Okay, so maybe you, know, you wore Nikes your whole life and you had no idea that actually Nikes are based off of a Greek mythological god named Nike, who's the Greek goddess of victory. Okay, that's where all of that comes from. It was this Greek goddess that helped Zeus defeat the Titans. And uh, so when we were in, when Matt Davis and I were in Turkey just a few months ago, we were in Ephesus, and <clears throat> there's this huge facade kind of thing where of, this is, this is Nike, and this is in Ephesus. Remembering that First John was written primarily to Ephesus and the cities nearby Ephesus, as well as the Gospel of John, and as well as the Book of Revelation, and then, uh, and so there's just a lot going into like what the the backdrop. I'm just imagining John writing some of this with images of Nike as the backdrop, and then he's saying Jesus in his Gospel in John 16:33. He says Jesus is the Nike. You know, Jesus is the victor. He's the one who overwhelmingly conquers. And we can overwhelmingly conquer through Christ and Christ alone. So you people out there, he's saying to the masses with Nike in the background, you can be like the gods greater than these fake gods that you think you worship. Because in Christ, we can have the victory. And in him, we can have that. It's not up to these you know, these mythological gods that you're worshiping and basing your, your whole life around. So we remember that Jesus says this in John 16, In the world, you have tribulation. Not, not like you might or, hey, if you become a Christian, you won't anymore. You know, in the world, you will have tribulation no matter what. But take courage, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. 
I've Nike'd that world to death. You know, like I got this. You know, he's like, here it is. And then even uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1557, it's this even bigger word. It's like super Nike, okay? Uber Nike, just crazy, huge Nike, overwhelmingly conquer. It's this other word for it. It just adds this on where it's hooper Nikeo. So it's to be absolutely victorious that in Christ, we have that. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a little like bit of like why language matters, right? You just read it. God gives it the victory. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, it's a big deal, you know? He's saying it's a big victory. This is the victory. It's the only victory that matters. And then John, who wrote Revelation, also says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. We overcome because of the shed blood of Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. And we have to remember that. Okay, we have to stand for that. It's not optional things. Okay, we don't get to define love the way we feel like defining love. God is love. Love is God. And God's definition of what love looks like is what love is, not something we might put on it. And so how do we find out? How do we find out if we have right belief? You know, you you might, ah, you doubt, you wonder, you question, do I have right belief? Well, start with those things, right? Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we believe that Jesus died on the cross? And do we believe that he came back to life again? We believe in our heart. God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. But then come the works. Okay, the works help show us the belief that we already have. Okay, the salvation that we already have. The works display that. So there's these actions that should be true. Doesn't mean every single moment you're perfect, you don't have thoughts that, you know, you want to kill that guy or whatever, okay? It doesn't mean you don't have these, you know, like moments of weakness or perfection yet, but our faith is displayed through works. Now, these are like to love God, love people, and be obedient to his word, which I will show you here in this passage, okay? We're going to kind of break this down, but I want to talk a little bit here at this point about what, like, why or whatever, like what's going on with this? Because we've got faith, there's a point of salvation, and then we have works, Okay, over here, the works come afterwards. Now, why the works? Well, here's the deal. Other than just like God says so, and then we close in prayer, you know? But it's like, it's this sense of where something to you is either a value or it's just an ideal. Like it's a, it's a belief or a value or it's just this ideal that you might have. I've talked about this before a little bit. But this is where, you know, if you are, uh, you say you're an environmentalist, okay? But you're like, you know what? kind of a lot of work to separate the recycling from the trash, so I just kind of dump it all, right? Well, no, you, you might say that you value environmentalism, but it's just an ideal to you. You don't really value it because there's no action that speaks for what you say you believe. You know, if you're a vegetarian, but you just still really like a good steak, you know, like, come on, don't mess around. Just don't be a vegetarian then. Uh, you'll be happier. No, okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but... And I'll get a couple people mad about that, but it's all right. Uh, it says to eat the fat and drink the sweet and celebrate that God is good. Anyway, uh, book of Nehemiah, my favorite verse, my life verse. Uh, but, but we have, we have uh, this sense where it's got to, like, we have to live this out, right? Where if we say we believe in God, 
if we say that we are followers of Jesus, but we don't do anything about that, we don't live out a life that follows him, then it, it's, not, it's not a value. It's not a belief. It's a lie. That's basically what it is. First century, Doug talked about this a little bit in June when he spoke in here, but first century, a concept of belief would never separate belief in your head from action. It was just assumed. When he would say to believe in something, that means you would act on it because it's absurd then and it's equally absurd now to say you believe in something and then not do anything about it. It just is what makes sense. It's just what that means. Even the Hebrew understanding of faith was faithfulness. That if we have faith, then we are faithful. It's an assumed, you know, outcome of our faith that we would then be faithful. So we, we can't just have mental assent, okay, or intellectual assent to, yes, I believe God is real and I'm done, okay, and you just sort of check out. No, it has to be lived out. And so we overcome first, as it says in this passage, by love for God and for others. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. So that's us. If we love God, we got to love his kids. Okay, we're all his kids. we got to love each other. Your brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters don't always get along. And we get that. Okay, so you're going to have some hard times and some fights. But we need to love each other and display that love for one another. And that love for one another is what shows the world that we love God. It's all over the scriptures. Okay, and so within that, we love God. We love people. The two greatest commandments that Jesus said, we love the Lord with everything in us. And we love our neighbor. We love people. Love God. Love people. How do we do that? How do we display love? We've talked a lot about that already in this series. But reminders of things like love is an action, right? Not just words. Love is selfless. Love is sacrificial. Love is godly. So whatever, because God is love. So whatever you'd read about God in the Bible, you'd display those sorts of things to people. Love is hard work. Love builds up. Love speaks truth, isn't afraid of. Sometimes love includes speaking truth in love. Love is vulnerable. Love is intimate. Yeah, I mean, love is well, it's hard. It's not easy to love, right? Love's got a lot in there. And so we are challenged to live these lives of love for one another. And then it says this, that we love by obedience to the word of God. That's how we love God. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So people just, oh, I just love, man, don't worry about all the rules, you know. It's like, well, no, that's, we follow the commandments of God, and that's how we show our love to him. It says, and his commandments are not burdensome, which is sometimes like, you're right, that's, could be, you got to work on that a little bit. You got to talk that one out and think that one through and pray that one out. Because maybe sometimes they might feel burdensome. But I would say that if we live our lives after the way God has showed us in the word of, in his scriptures how to live our lives, we live our lives in that way, that will be the best life that we can live, right? That will be a life that is good and a life that is successful in God's eyes and is not burdensome. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It's not burdensome. And so I love even another, another verse is 1 John 2, 3. You won't see on the screen here. But just a page or two back, it says this. 
By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Okay, that's pretty clear. By this, we know if we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. So we are on a road of sanctification, okay? We are in a process of being made more holy by the grace of God, day by day by day. But that's how we will know. Like, our works display our salvation. Our works display that. Now, there is, and I'm just going to very quickly sort of summarize some of their story, but there are some guys uh, named John and Charles Wesley. There's another guy up there named Asbury on the far right. But John and Charles Wesley, uh, they live back... Like this, this story I'm going to tell is 1738, okay? So this is a good while back. But they're the founders of the Methodist church movement. And now, um, here's like, there's some like ways that the Methodist church would be pretty different, I think, than what we would look like nowadays, some. But they were super strong and started an amazing, amazing movement of God. And what's interesting for them is they were leaders in the church they were sent as missionaries and evangelists to Georgia, okay? So they went into Georgia, and while they're going into Georgia to go preach and evangelize and share about God, uh, them and, and one of their friends named William Holland were reading uh, Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians, talking a lot about this kind of stuff, like faith and works and all that, right? And, at, and as it was just hammering over and over again, you cannot earn the love of God. You can do nothing to earn God's grace. It's all about his grace. It's all about his grace. You do nothing to earn it. Nothing, 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 nothing. Well, the thing was, this whole Methodist movement, I mean, even Methodist, right, is that they created a very methodological system of these things you have to do and, you know, a lot of, like, work stuff. And for them, what they realized, one, their friend was so struck by this that he said that he was saved in that moment of reading that. He didn't believe he was saved. And then even like the next, just like very, very short while after that is when Charles Wesley said, he, after reading that, he said, you know what? I believe I'm saved in this moment as a leader and missionary, you know, being sent out as an evangelist. I am now saved. I was not saved before because you know what he he admitted that he had done is he had got these two things in the wrong order. He put the works first the methods first, and then the, the grace second, okay? And so for him, once he got those in the right order, he admitted, you know what? No, that's the moment of my salvation. He essentially had to repent of his good works, trying to save himself through them. You get that? Repenting of his good works. It doesn't sound like something you normally think, Right? It doesn't sound like something you normally think you'd have to do. But for him, that's what he had to do as he got the order wrong. And it was basically, like 2 Timothy 3 would say, that it was a form of godliness that had no power. Okay? Because it wasn't coming out of the Holy Spirit and being saved and being filled with the Holy Spirit, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so out of that, it was kind of like, here's the thing I want to get us to understand, you guys. I want you to understand that self-righteousness is just as displeasing to God as unrighteousness. And I would ask, who do you think Jesus had more of a problem with when he was here on the earth? Those who were unrighteous or those who were self-righteous? 
And I would say it was those Pharisees, obviously, right, that were self-righteous, that thought that their actions and their works and all of that is what brought them closer to God and what made them holy and is what brought them salvation, where these people who are what we'd call unrighteous would come and bow before the feet of Christ and weeping and washing their, washing Christ's feet with, with her hair and that sort of a thing where people who knew they needed forgiveness because they needed it. They didn't think they'd already earned it. The answer isn't legalism and the answer isn't lawlessness. The answer is love. And that's who Jesus is. The answer is Jesus. But the thing what happens is, is I think many people, and I'd venture to say many of our younger generations, have seen people live a life of legalism. Okay? That they've seen people put so many little rules that aren't in the scriptures as more important than anything else. And there's been a pendulum swing towards freedom, which is good, but the pendulum swing has gone all the way to lawlessness. That there's no such thing as sin anymore. That sin doesn't matter. Hey, it's just do whatever, I'm forgiven, right? Well, no, that's not the answer either. It's not legalism. It's not lawlessness. It's love. It's Christ. It's the truth of who he is. It's getting things in the right order. That we must believe that we have faith. That we have faith in the grace of Christ alone saves nothing else. We cannot get this wrong or we're preaching a gospel of behavior modification instead of the gospel of Jesus. And so we got to get that right. Yeah, amen. Come on. But then the works got to come still, okay? <laughs> then the works come next. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, is the one who loves me. This is how we show God that we love him. This is how we show the world that we love God. We keep the commandments that he's given us. And I would venture to say then that we will have the best life that we can have as we do that. I was talking with actually Robert Carter, who's been leading worship today about this at a planning thing. And we're talking about how our being affects our doing right? So like our salvation affects our works, right? Our being affects our doing. And as long as they're in the right order of that, then our doing affects our being in the sense that as we do these good works, we are drawn into this sense of closeness to God and we are encouraged in our faith. And, you know, we, we can't like take on the righteousness of Christ by the works, but as we do them, out, we already have the righteousness of Christ, but we do that, it does affect us in a good way. Even in the sense of, I always said that the best defense is a good offense when it comes to sin. You know, when it comes to fleeing from sin, it's don't just think about the sin all the time, right? Like, wh- whatever your sin might be, if your sin is to like punch little kids or whatever, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's bad. Don't do that, you know? But you can't sit there thinking like, don't punch him, don't punch him, don't punch him. Then all you're thinking about is punching people, right? And it's like, you just got to be thinking about the positive, right? You need to be filling your heart and your mind with good works. And that is keeping you from thinking about the sin that you're trying to avoid. And so we've got to get the order of this right. But we also have to know that, yes, we have to live lives of obedience to show love to God. Where we do these things that it says in the scriptures of making disciples 
of being baptized. It is an act of obedience. Of giving as we give to the Lord. That is an act of obedience that we are called to do. As we share our faith, as we do, as James says, to care for the orphan and the widow. But what he says next that everybody seems to leave out, and keep oneself unstained by the world. That we are to flee from sin and care for those in need. And so then as we do all of that, those are those sorts of ways as we forgive others and love others. Those are those acts of obedience. So we got to get the order right. It's not legalism. It's not lawlessness. Okay, it's Jesus. And as we receive the grace from him to be saved, we receive grace from him to do good works, to follow him, to flee from sin. It's all from grace, okay? We're getting that all from the grace of God that we could live out each day. So as we respond to this, as we do a couple things, I want to encourage us in a couple things. The first is... As we worship, we're going to have a chance to take communion. will be offered that we remember at these stations around the room. We remember that Christ gave his body for us and shed his blood for us as we eat of the bread and drink from the cup. That we have to remember that that's the crux of all of this, right? The shed blood of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And we remember that. That's why we do this. We have a chance to be obedient and give of our tithes and our offerings. We have a chance to pray. I love to pray with someone at a prayer point. I'll be over there. There'll be people at both. Love to pray with you. If you want to come over and pray, maybe here's what we need to pray about. We need to repent. Okay? Here's what repentance is. Repentance, remember, is we are walking towards sin. We need to repent, which means to turn from that sin and walk towards Christ. Right? Now, you might need to repent of unrighteousness. You have not ever, you don't have any relationship with Jesus Christ. You have never received that free gift of salvation and forgiveness that he is offering to you today. Maybe that's what you need. And I would encourage you to come and pray with me or someone else at these prayer points. But I also think that some of you in this room need to repent of your acts of righteousness. You need to repent of good works that you think you have done to earn God's love, to earn God's forgiveness, to earn his favor in some way that is just absolutely not true. And you've been living that life. And you need to say, I am here today to repent of my good works. And maybe it's like John and Charles Wesley who said, you know, I've even been involved in the church for a long time. I'm even in leadership. But I'm not too proud to say... Maybe I've never been a Christian up until this point, and I need to receive that free gift of salvation. I encourage you to come pray about one of those things or anything else on your heart. We're available to pray for you. So let's, uh, let's pray together, and as we worship, let's worship God in this like, heart of thanksgiving and gratefulness for the free gift that our salvation is, and that we can't earn it, that it's in Christ and Christ alone that we have our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come before you and thank you so much for your word that speaks so clearly to us today. For this message that shows us that we cannot earn it. And being nice doesn't get us to you, Lord. But Lord, we thank you that on our worst day, you know us. You know every part of our minds. 
and you love us, and you forgive us, and you give us that free gift of your grace, salvation, God. And I pray that we don't mess up the order of these things anymore. So speak into our hearts, Lord. Show us whether we should repent of our unrighteousness or our acts of righteousness, God, today. We pray these things in your name.